So 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 10. And we'll just read through it. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 10. And it says this, and this is Paul, the Apostle Paul, writing to, to Timothy. Um, essentially, his, uh, in some ways, his spiritual son. Um, as he writes to Timothy, uh, who is a young, a young leader. And this is what Paul says to him. Chapter 3, verse 10. He says this. But you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, convince Rebuke, exalt with all long-suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things. Endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Let us pray together. Father, I thank you for this beautiful letter which we have, Lord, and how we get this glimpse, Lord, into, into kind of the last moments of Paul's life, of his ministry. And Father, Lord, as we, as we go through this text, Lord, I pray, Lord, that once again you would bring it alive. That you would speak to us, Lord. Help us to get it, Lord. Help us to understand that which you would have us take away from this text. 
And then by your Holy Spirit, may you empower us to live the life that you've called us to live. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Earlier this week, I had the chance to, uh, to go to the cinema, which is always good fun. And I saw uh, Macbeth, which was pretty cool. Uh, I'm not really a Shakespeare buff or anything like that, although I did study it in, in secondary school. Um, but anyway, I was watching this film, and it's kind of a new adaption. It's very gritty, but, um, but it, was, it was good. And although I struggled to understand a lot of what they were saying, which just actually kind of amazed me. I kind of got the gist of what was happening. And one of the things, uh, as you kind of get to the end of the film, um, you see Macbeth and you see kind of, he's, he, you see this man and you kind of see in this, he goes on this journey and you see the end of his life when he's finally, finally killed and he's, he's there, his, his lifeless corpse and kind of the end credits roll up. And, and the thing which came to mind was this, and uh, the question which came to my mind was this, what kind of man will I be? Here we see a man, and in the beginning of the film, he's kind of presented as a very kind of like a, kind of a noble character, but we see very shortly afterwards, he begins to descend and descend in the pursuit of a crown which was never meant to be his. And we see in a couple of different uh, moments in the film, you even see how different people have different ideas of what a man should be. And even his wife comes up to him and says, oh, this is how, this is how you should be. This is how a man should be. And actually what she was saying was, was not what a man should be. We know that in the world around us, there will be people and there are competing voices all saying, this is, this is how you should live. This is what you should be. This is, this is what a man is. This is what a, a true Christian is. And, some, and there are so many times when we actually find that it's so contrary to what God actually calls us to. And here we get to see Paul. And it's important to remember where Paul is at this moment. He's in prison. He's writing from prison. This is one of his last letters. And this is before he's, a, he's soon to, to, to lose his life. We know that he's come to the end of his ministry. And in that moment, when he's in prison, he's actually thinking of other people. He's coming to the end of his life. And, he, and, he, and you can kind of sense it. He, you can kind of get the sense that he can feel that he, he knows there's not much time left. And his focus is on serving others and loving others. And here we get this picture of what Paul says. He says, look, Timothy, this is the man I desire you to be. This is the man Christ desires you to be. So as we go through this text and as we look at this, and this isn't just for, just for men. I just like to kind of use that because I'm, I'm a man. I'm trying to figure out how to be a man. So. <laughs> but this is also for, 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 for ladies as well. This is... What is Christ calling us to be and who is Christ calling us to become? And it's amazing how we see Paul at the end of his life. As he can say, look, I fought the good fight and I ran the race. I finished the race. I love how Paul, when he's gotten to the end, he's like, yes, I've done it. I know what this looks like. I know what this means. I, he, he, we know that he hasn't done it perfectly. But we know that through Christ." Jesus has done amazing things through him. So the question as we go through this is, what kind of man, what kind of Christian will we be? And I think ultimately it comes down to us 
not just looking at the day we begin, but looking in anticipation at the day for which we will end. And I love Paul, how he has that focus. He's looking ahead. He's looking not just to how he starts, but he's looking to how he's going to finish. The day that we finish is just as important as the middle day and an in-between days. And I love his focus in that. So let's begin to unpack this as we kind of go through it bit by bit. So here we go. In chapter 3, verse 10, he says this. And it's kind of like a, an account of Paul's life. He's like, Timothy, look, look you, you've, you've walked with me, Timothy. You know what my life has been like. And for those who are kind of new to the Bible, just to give a brief idea of where this falls into the context of, of, kind of, uh, of, of biblical history, we know that uh, we see that Jesus Christ dies on the cross for the sins of the world. And then he rises again on the third day. He shows himself to his disciples. He says that if you put your faith in me, put your trust in me, believe on me, and you will have eternal life, abundant life, everlasting life. And as he meets with his disciples, he ascends to heaven. And then we see this movement explode, which is continuing to spread forth. Think about it, just a group of rough and tumble disciples, fishermen and tax collectors, uh, and these guys become <laughs> full-on Jesus worshippers, full-on Christians. And we see out of nothing this explodes, this gospel message. And then we see, and then, and then after that explodes, Jesus goes to heaven, the church is born. And we see this guy, Paul, who is actually persecuting the church. He's actually hunting down Christians to imprison them and to put them to death. And then this guy has a radical conversion. This guy who is hunting down Christians meets a risen Lord Jesus and his whole life is turned upside down. This guy who is persecuting the church is now leading, is now seeking to lead the church, to minister to the church. And we see Paul, the Apostle Paul, this faithful servant. And as we read through Acts and through many of the other books, we see just him going throughout, throughout Europe and throughout other places. Uh, and we just see him just planting churches and spreading the gospel uh, in such an amazing way. And here, this is where he's coming to the end of his life. He's been imprisoned, and now he writes to Timothy, his spiritual son. And he says, Timothy, take careful look. You've carefully followed my doctrine, my manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, and afflictions. Man, what a life. This is, a, this is what a life looks like of a faithful sort of a follower of Jesus. And he says to Timothy, look, you've seen my life. You've seen not only how I've suffered, but you've seen my faith. You've seen my love. And then he continues on. Skip down to verse 12. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. I love how Paul doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't hide away from it. He's like, look, if you desire to follow Jesus and you desire to be godly, there will be hardship, there will be persecution. But there is, <laughs> we don't do it alone, we do it with Jesus. And there is a reward which he talks about later on. And verse 13, but evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, 
which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. As we look through this text, one of the first things that comes to my mind as I read this is this. He's saying to Timothy, look, Paul was saying to Timothy, Timothy, be a man that reads the word. Be a man that abides in the word of God. As we see just from these few verses, just the importance of the word of God, just the importance of this book here. And he says this, Then that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Through this book, Timothy, through this book you hear the gospel plainly written out you and it says it makes you wise for some salvation which just means look here you will read about how you can be saved here you read about that not only there is a god who loves us but that we are guilty sinners we are destined for judgment but jesus steps in he dies on a cross he takes the punishment which we deserve and he simply says put your faith in me accept that gift and come and be with me not not just for eternity but for now So here he's saying, look, Timothy, be a man who reads the word, because in it you're going to find out about salvation. But not just that, he continues on. He says this, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. Here, look, he's saying, look, all scripture. Look, we know that scripture is written by man. It wasn't just a book which fed out of the sky, but it was men who penned it. But we know that these men were guided and inspired by the Holy Spirit. It was literally as if God was using different men, different authors as his tools to write his words to us. So that today we could have something which we continually come back on, continue to look at. And through his word there are a number of things which happen. He says, look, he says, through, by inspiration it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction, as we read God's word, he's going to teach us, he's going to correct us, he's going to show us good doctrine, he's going to at times reprove us and give us instruction in how to live a righteous and godly life. Here we see, if we desire to live a godly life in Christ, this book is integral to that. And as he finishes off here, he says, that the man of God may be complete thoroughly equipped for every good work. We have scripture, we have this book so that we could be complete men and women of God. So that we could be fully equipped and fully ready for everything that he calls us to do. So the first thing Paul says to me, Timothy, be a man that abides, that remains in the word of God. And as Jesus says, in John 8, 31 and 32. And I love this verse. And he says this. And Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my words, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth. And the truth shall make you free. Here even Jesus says himself, like, Look, abide in my word. Remain in my word. And that, and that word abide, it means to dwell. It means to stand. It kind of means to be planted in. He says, look, be planted and abide and remain in my word. 
Because when you do, not only do you prove to be my disciples, but you will know the truth. And that truth will set you free. But then Paul continues, and he continues on from chapter 4, and he says this, I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. And then he says this, Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exalt with all long-suffering and teaching. The second thing Paul says to Timothy is this. He says, look, be a man that preaches the word. So don't just, he says, be a man that abides and reads the word and remains in the word, but also be a man that preaches the word. And I love how he says, look, he doesn't, he doesn't say just to preach, but he says, preach the word. Throughout the world, there are many people preaching. <laughs> there are many preachers in the world, and, and there are many different pulpits in the world, but the question is not just, just not the fact that they are preaching, but what are they preaching? And when, and, and when this, this instruction to preach the word to Timothy, I mean, it is specifically to Timothy because he is a pastor. And he's a leader of a church. And it's like, look, preach the word. But also to those of us who aren't pastors, we all have our own kind of pulpit. It may not be a pulpit you see on a Sunday, but we all have our areas of influence. We all have those people for which we can speak into. And the question is, will we preach the word? So, for example, for, for fathers and mothers, it's like, will you preach the word to your children? And to brothers and sisters, will you preach it to your brothers and sisters? To older women, will you preach and teach the younger women? To older men, will you preach and teach the younger men? And in another book, in another letter which Paul writes, we kind of get to see this very beautifully in, in how this works in the church. And that's the beautiful thing about a, a good and healthy church is that you have, and, and, and we should have people who are, from, who are on different points in that walk with Christ. That we would have those who have walked with him for years and those who have just walked with him for days so that they can each learn from each other, so they can each teach. So the guy who's been walking with Jesus for 20 years can actually come alongside the person who's just started and be like, yeah, I remember what that feels like. It's okay. (laughs) I know Jesus is in control. He's done this in my life. He's done this. And we see this perfectly in 2 Titus. Sorry, in Titus chapter 2. Uh, and verse 1, I'll read just a couple of ideas. And here he's kind of, Paul is laying out to a, another pastor, to another kind of uh, spiritual son in some ways. He's laying this out to Titus. And he says this in chapter 2, verse 1, But as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine, that the older men be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love, in patience. The older women, likewise, that they be reverent in behaviour, not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children. Here we see, here we see Paul's like, look, get, get the older women to teach the younger women. And then further on in verse 6, it says, likewise, exalt the young men to be sober-minded. It's like, look, teach the young women, teach the young men. And the question is, not, you know, not all of us will have a physical pulpit on a Sunday, but what are the different pulpits that we have in our lives? 
the different places that we have the opportunity to preach. And then the question is, what are we preaching? Is it the word or is it something else? So here we see, Paul says, be a man of the word, be a man that preaches the word. And then be a man that trusts the word. As he continues on, he says this, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. Man, it's amazing just how... (laughs) You know when you read a part of Scripture, you're just like, how prophetic it is. We see, and it's a sad state, that even in in the church in this country today, we see this. We see there will come a point when you go through Scripture, when you go through this book, there will be moments where you come across something which, 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 which stirs you in your soul. It's something which you don't quite get and you don't quite agree with. And you have a choice in that moment. The choice is this. Do you either concede that God is <laughs> God knows more than you? And you come to him and say, Look, Lord, I don't get this. I don't agree with this. But you're God. You know better than me. You're everlasting. And I'm like 25. <laughs> so <laughs> forgive me, Lord. Change my heart so that I'm in agreement with you. Or there's another choice. Either we come across something else in Scripture which we disagree with and then find somebody else to, <laughs> find a teacher or somebody else to, to agree with us. And, 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 and we see it today. It's kind of like, and, I, and it, it burns my heart even as I talk with, with friends who are Christians. It's like, well, I don't agree with this. And, you know, and, and, and so then they go in search of teachers to back up what they believe. And we see it. If you want to find somebody to agree with you, I mean, <laughs> you will not have to go far. Let's be honest. You, you can search on the internet. You can go on YouTube. You can, you're not going to be hard placed to find somebody who agrees with you, but it doesn't mean that it's true. And this is why I say is be, and this is, I love how perfect this is. Paul's like, look, there are going to be people, and he says this, look, for a time will come when they won't endure sound doctrine. There will be a time when people, when, they, when the Bible is preached, they will not endure it, but they will not heed to it, but instead, according to their own desires. So I know that the book says this, I know you're saying this, Lord, but I desire this. I want this. This is my desire, not what you say, but what I desire. And we see that there's not a heart of submission to him as Lord, but it's a, a submission to yourself as Lord. And, he's, and he goes on, he says, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. You know what, that, that person is going to go after that desire, and they're going to find anybody to back up the desire. And they're going to be like, well, I know what the Bible says, but this guy said this, or this guy said this. I love how Paul was like, Timothy, beware of this. A time is going to come when this is happening, when people, instead of following the word of God, will follow what they desire, what they believe to be right. But he says, instead, you hold fast to what is true. As they are turning away from the truth, as they are turning to fables, I want you, Timothy, to be watchful and to endure. I want you to stand, Timothy. And ultimately, it comes down to this. Paul was saying to Timothy, Timothy, I want you to be a man that trusts the word of God. Because the one that, that those for which Paul was talking about, who, who turn away from sound doctrine, who turn to their own desires and then find teachers to back them up, it's because there is not a true trust in the word of God, that it is sufficient, that it is enough, that it is true, and that 
I could actually be wrong. <laughs> and I love how the psalmist David says this. In Psalm 119, which I encourage you to read on your own, it's the longest psalm in the, in, in, it's the long, well, it's the longest chapter in the Bible, and it's right bang in the middle of the Bible, and it's amazing how it's all about the Word of God. And he says this in 119, sorry, Psalm 119 and verse 160. So you can tell it's a long, a long chapter, 160 verses, and, well, 176 in total. But he says this in verse 160, The entirety of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous judgments endures forever. Here David gets it. David's like, look, your word is true, God, and I can trust it. So be a man that trusts the word of God. And he carries on in verse 5, he says this, But you be watchful in all things. Be a man that is watchful. Be alert. Be careful. <laughs> there are, there are, be, be watchful. Watchful of your own lives and your own walks. But then also be watchful of those you've called to protect. Those you've called to speak into. For parents, for, for your children, be watchful for them. For husbands, be watchful on behalf of your wives. And, and just for men and women, those who are placed into your care, be watchful for them, look out for them, and watch for yourself as well. Be careful how you tread and keep your eyes open. And then he says this, endure afflictions. As we kind of looked on earlier on, the Christian walk is it's not a pain-free walk. <laughs> And Paul demonstrates it there. He says, look, in verse 12 of the previous chapter, yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ, Jesus will suffer persecution. Jesus doesn't promise us a pain-free life, but he does promise to be with us through that. And he promises to use that for our good, even when we can't see it. So he says, Timothy, look, affliction is coming, but endure it. And Jesus says this to his own disciples. Uh, and, and it kind of applies to us as well. In, in John 16, just before he's about to go to the cross, he, this is one of the many things he says to his, his disciples. John 16 says, It's these things I've spoken to you that you should not be made to stumble. They will put you out of the synagogues. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God's service. And these things they will do to you because they have not known the Father nor me. But these things I have told you that when the time comes, you may remember that I told you of them and these things I did not say to you at the beginning because I was with you. Here even Jesus says to his disciples that there is a time persecution is going to come. And the reason I'm telling you this now (laughs) is so that you will not stumble. Because it's so easy for us to think and we get into this sense that often when we go through hardship or, or persecution, that we can sometimes say, oh, this means that God's forgotten me. But it's like, well, no, God has actually said that this is happening. <laughs> that persecution will come. That hardship will come. It's not a sign of God's abandoning you. But it's actually just an opportunity to cry out to him and to lean on him and to rest on him and to endure. And we'll see the reason for why we're called to endure. And he carries on. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Don't just be a watchful man, but be a man that endures. Be a man that evangelizes to tell other people. And that's going to look different for each and every one of us. He's going to keep giving us different gifts in different ways. He's called us to share and evangelize in different ways. For some, it will be somebody standing 
literally in a train, <laughs> on a train carriage in the middle of it preaching. And I've seen that and it's uh, extremely challenging. For some of us, it will be talking to our co-workers. For some of us, it will be preaching on the streets. For some of us, <coughs> for some of us, it will be preaching as we as we do other ministry, as we help the homeless, as we uh, as we give collect clothes for those in need. It gives us the opportunity to share the gospel, this good news. It says, look, do the job of the evangelist and fulfil your ministry. Whatever God has called you to do cause you to be fulfill it persevere in it and he says this and this is kind of where we're going to bring it to an end he says Paul says this in verse 6 and I love these last three verses he says this for I am already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure is at hand Paul he's like I've been poured out he's like the time has come my question is, what will we be poured out for? Coming back to that film, Macbeth, you see a man, and he was poured out. He was definitely, he was definitely with all conviction and, and gusto, was he going for his vision, for his, for his dream, but it was a wrong one. <laughs> question is, what will you be poured out for? And I love, it was just so, you're watching the film, and it's a very visual film as well, and there was this one point where you see this crown, and it's kind of, and it's, it's his crown, this crown which he, he murders and betrays for, and then murders to try and keep, and, and you see it, and you see there's this one point where they see this crown on this throne, and the way kind of the camera pans, it's such a hollow shot, it's such a, it's such a hollow crown, it's literally just a piece of wood. <laughs> And, and it, it just looked so hollow. And in that moment, you're like, he poured himself out for that? The question is, what will you pour yourself out for? Here we see in the life of Paul, a man poured out for Christ and for Jesus. The question is, what will we be poured out for? And I think back to, and um, we kind of look a bit further on as Paul kind of gives this analogy of a race. But I remember when I used to do athletics when I was in secondary school. And I think it was in year 11. Uh, and uh, I was, and it was kind of, it was essentially our year sports day. So there's six forms and you basically do athletics for the day. You know, you're doing track, you're doing field, and you're doing all these different things. And, and it's basically form against form. So essentially you're trying to get as many points for your form so that you win the... I think they actually did have a trophy. So, you know, that's kind of cool. And uh, my form, and I was, I was relatively good at athletics. I mean, when I say relatively, I mean relatively. I, can, I couldn't throw or catch or, or... I could not throw to save my life. I have some really embarrassing stories of how I couldn't do that. And I couldn't jump. I definitely couldn't jump. There was a few embarrassing moments for that. But I could run. Running's not too bad. Um, and <laughs> although I was not amazing... In my form, I was decent enough. I was kind of one of the better athletes. So they put me forward for, I think it was like 1,200 meters, a 400 meter race, and a 400 meter relay race. So they put me through for three races, and you kind of do the first one, which is kind of the more long distance one, after you're like, oh, okay, that's tight. I've got to go for the next one. Then you do the 400 meters, which is kind of a cross between a sprint and a and kind of endurance, and then that absolutely took it out of me and then did the relay and then that took it out of me as well and there's one point I'm just lying just on the bench and I'm finding it hard to breathe and stand I'm like man I've never felt this way what's going on I'm like, I literally like and it wasn't just I just 
been in each one, but you're in each one to win it. You're, you're going for it. You're giving your all, especially in things like 400 meters, which is essentially an, an extra long sprint. And I remember, literally, it gets to the point where it's time to give out the trophies. And me and my friend are kind of by the corner of the sports hall because I'm not feeling well. And then literally, as they're kind of announcing who's winning, I'm like puking my guts out around the back of the sports hall, just like, oh! <laughs> and then I kind of like, okay, I'm good, I'm good, good. And it's amazing how you throw up once and you're like instantly better. I was like, man, I should have just thrown up long ago. That would have been amazing. But, um, and then the moment comes. And they bring out the trophy, and my form was the form that won. And then in that moment, that throwing up and the kind of just feeling ugh, horrible, <laughs> like you've been hit by a bus or something, all of that, all of that energy poured out on the track, in that moment it was all worth it for the prize. Because there was a reward, because, <laughs> because we won. And the question is, what are we pouring ourselves out for? Uh, the challenge which Paul puts forward to us is like, look, leave it on the field. You know, in that moment, I left everything I had on the track. You only get, you had that one chance to run that race. I left it on there and the reward was worth it. And in our lives, it's like, look, pour yourself out for Christ and the things of Christ because there is a reward. And there isn't just an abundant life and uh, now, but there is a reward to come. And we kind of even looked at that briefly last week with PT. Um, and then he continues on in verse 7. He says this, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. I love this verse. And my prayer is that God willing that when I come to the end of my life, I could echo those words with Paul and say, I fought the good fight. I finished a race and I have kept the faith. There is a fight to be had and that does not mean we need to <laughs> physically go and start beating up people. That's not what Paul's talking about. <laughs> but fighting, and, and we kind of, we've been looking at it briefly in, in, in kind of on Wednesdays, we've been looking at it in, in Joshua. Uh, and in and our Wednesday night studies, as we go through the book of Joshua, we've been looking at it and looking uh, that there are battles to be had. That as Christians, we will have battles to face. And they're not going to be often, they're not going to be actual physical fistfights with people, so don't worry, guys. <laughs> I mean, I know I'd lose in a fistfight, so it's okay. So, <laughs> thankfully, that's not what he's calling us to, but it's, it is to, to battle against our own flesh, to battle against our own sinful desires, you know, uh, like a quote which somebody says, you know, a true man is not somebody that conquers a woman, but somebody, a true man that conquers <laughs> his lustful desires. A true man is somebody who conquers and kills that, puts that old man to death. That's one of the battles we fight. We'll be called to make battles for truth and to make a stand, especially from those from the world around us and sometimes even from Christians. The world around us is against that of Christ and against that of who he stands for. And there will be moments where we are called to make a stand. Will we stand for Jesus and who he is and what he stands for? Or will we not? And my encouragement to you and to me is fight the good fight. There are going to be fights to have. Make sure it's the right one and make sure it's the good one. Stand in it, knowing that your father looks down in delight when you do. 
And uh, it reminds me again of uh, when I used to play football. And uh, I used to play football on the Saturdays from around about the age of, when I was in secondary school, maybe 12 to 16. And the final year, my second to last year of doing it, uh, we were awesome. We were like the best team. We were like absolutely on it. We won the league and I think we came second in the cup or something like that. I actually had two little medals I got. I still got them now somewhere at home. Uh, it was like a great season. The next season, which was my final season, all our good players left because they were too old. So we were essentially rebuilding and we were not a very good team. <laughs> had a lot of new kids in. Some Man, bless their hearts. They just weren't that amazing. But um, and my my dad uh, for that final year was the coach. He was the manager essentially, as much as you can be for a Saturday league football team. But <laughs> so he was coaching us and managing us. And there was this one game, and we had had many defeats. We were essentially the underdogs. It was like a six-team league, and in that year we were we were definitely the underdogs. We were called the Vikings. What a cool name! And we all wear red. It was a yeah, anyway. So, <laughs> we were the underdogs. And I remember we were playing this team. And I usually played in defence or defensive midfield. So, I don't usually score at all or hardly ever score. And there was this one game. Uh, and my, my kind of, I had a distant cousin who was playing with me as well. And there's this one point, he's running with the ball. And he kind of just lays it off to me. It's just me one-on-one with the keeper. Uh, and you're kind of like, oh, yeah. And you kind of shoot. And it goes in. And you're like, yes, you actually beat the keeper. And you're kind of in more shock that it actually happened than anything else. And then at that moment, my dad is looking on the side. He's going absolutely berserk. He's like running onto the pitch. And then he's like, yes, my boy, that's my boy. And then he has to get like, he was literally chased off by a dog. I mean, that was kind of funny. He runs into the pitch and then this little dog comes in, follows him, trying to chase him off. And he's like, oh, man. (laughs) But all I can remember is his delight in seeing me have victory. Uh, And just to know that there will be fights and there will be battles. (laughs) But even more than my dad rejoicing when I score uh, <laughs> your father in heaven sees and when you make a stand in that good fight when you have that victory <laughs> man he is over the moon he's just like add a boy add a girl keep going keep pressing on fight the good fight and not only does we call to have keep the fight <laughs> I love Paul not to just to, not only just to fight the good fight but we're also called to finish the race and once again, he lays out the Christian walk. It's not just one with battles, but it's also one of a race. And we're running. And, and when you're running a race, it's so important to keep your eye on the finish line. Uh, keep your eye not just on... <laughs> if you're focusing just on the start, you're going <laughs> to miss what's ahead. But focus on the finish line. And the story I've told a couple of times before is, once again, doing 400 metres for the Croydon, I don't know, championship thing or whatever. And it's literally, 400 metres is like just once around the track. And I'm kind of in one of the middle lanes. And we're coming to the last 100 metres. And I'm kind of in the middle. And I can see, okay, there's two people ahead of me. I'm like, first and second. Okay, that's fine. They've got that. There's no way I'm going to catch them. But now I'm, now I'm playing for third. I'm like, I want to get third. And I can see in the back of my, I can see... I can see in the corner of my eye somebody coming up behind me, coming right to sign me. And in that moment, I remember what my dad says, like, always keep your, keep your eye on the goal and not on the opposition aside you. Keep your eye focused on there. Don't turn, because as soon as you turn, you're going to lose that split second. In that moment, that temptation to turn and look, 
I kept looking at the goal. I kept looking at the prize. And I finished the race and I got third. Although, unfortunately, they only give medals to first and second. So, <laughs> only got a certificate. But um, the point is this, that we are called to run a race. Let us keep our eyes on the goal, on the end. Keep our eyes fixed on the prize. And what is that prize? So Paul says, I've finished the race, I've kept the faith. And finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who loved his appearing. This crown of righteousness is not just for Paul. <laughs> but he says this, it will be awarded to all of those who loved his appearing. All of those who loved and seek to follow Jesus. He says, look, keep your eye on the prize. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus for he is our prize and he is our reward. He says, be a man who fights the good fight. Be a man who runs and finishes the race and be a man that keeps the faith. Keep it. Hold on to it. Grasp it. And when we see these things, as we meditate on these things, it's like, man, you look at Paul's life and it's, I mean, you see this guy come to the end of his life and he's like, he's poured out. He's laid everything him, himself down in, in the pursuit of, of walking and, and being obedient to Christ. And we see how that falls into serving and loving others. We see the scars that he has. We also see the victories. The fact that we're even talking about this guy almost 2,000 years later. How did Jesus change this man from whom, who was persecuting Christians to him who was just ah, blessing Christians. And so often it's like, Lord, I, I, I see this call. Lord, it's like, how, how can I be a man like that? We see here, we see how, how he's encouraging Timothy to be this kind of man. A man that stands in the word, is planted in the word. A man that fights and stands for, for the good fight and runs the race. A man that endures. I'm like, how do I, how can I become this man? <laughs> and I think Jesus sums it up perfectly and this is where we'll bring it to an end. Because as, as I've often said before, that, the call is great, but Jesus doesn't just leave us to do it on our own. And he says this in John 15, he says this. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples once again before he is to, to go to the cross. He says this, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. The means for us to be able to be men and women 
who at the end of it all can say with Paul, (laughs) I have fought the good fight, I have run the race, so I have finished the race and I have kept the faith. The means for that is abiding and remaining in Jesus. Fixing our eyes in Jesus. Keeping our hearts in Jesus. And that word abide again, you see it throughout John. Throughout John and his letters, you see that word abide. It means to stand in, to remain, to be planted in. When we plant ourselves in Jesus, he is the means for making us men just like him and making us men and women who at the end of it all can say, I have fought the good fight and I have finished the race and I have kept the faith. Let's pray together.